Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Rebecca Chen, and I'm a partner with Ready and Newman. I'll be conducting the conference for today. Um, if you haven't already, there should be a link in the chat to fill out your question on a Google spreadsheet, and we will be uh, answering questions in order of that. Um, Truthy, can you start our first question? Sure. Truthy? Yeah. Hi. Uh, yeah. Uh, hi. I put the question in the Google form. Uh huh. Okay. Um. Let's see. So. You haven't traveled outside the U.S. since you filed the I-485, is that right? Right. Okay. Yeah, um, I would probably use your advanced parole. Because you have filed the I-485, you may not be able to come back in on the F-1 visa, even if it's unexpired, um, because the F-1 doesn't allow immigrant intent, and the I-485 application is kind of proof of your intention to stay permanently in the U.S., so yeah, you'll need to use the advanced parole when you come back in, and there isn't anything you need to do to activate the EAD um, just whenever you come back into the U.S. As long as the EAD is not expired, you can use it for work authorization. Okay, so I just have to provide that to my university? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and what would be my status once I get back? Yeah, when you come back in, you will no longer be in F1 status after you re-enter the U.S. using your advanced parole. Your stat, your status at that point is kind of, um, there isn't an actual visa status anymore. You're considered an adjustment of status applicant. So you're authorized to remain in the U.S. based on your pending I-485 application, but it's not necessarily a visa class. Um, and then you're authorized to work okay. using the EAD. You're authorized to travel using the advanced parole. Just make sure okay, you so- review the EAD and AP before they expire. Okay, got it. So basically, I can start saying... Uh- my status before leaving the country, right? Like I cannot move to green card EAD before leaving? You could. Yeah, if you want to, you could. Um, I mean, there isn't anything that you file with UCIS necessarily to say that I'm leaving F1 status and I'm moving on to this. It's just a matter of if you are working right now, like using um, pre-completion OPT or something else, then you would just use your GC EAD instead. Um, Yeah. So it's up to you if you wanted okay. to you prior to leaving. Okay. Okay, got it. Okay, thank you. Sure. Hi, uh, I'm currently uh, working remote and uh, my PD is current as I've born in Saudi Arabia. So my question is, uh, do you suggest to file I-45 from Houston, Texas, where I'm currently located? That has a processing time of 30 months compared to Fort Smith, uh, Arkansas, that has a processing time for just nine months. 
I can move to any state, just not sure about the timeline. Do you already have like another home in Arkansas? Uh, I do not, but I'm planning to move there if it is suggested that I can file from there. Would that be the only reason you're moving? Not because your job is moving you or? No, that's the only reason. I have some extended okay. family over there, uh, but uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so it is pretty hard to predict how USCIS processing times work, even though the posted processing times for Houston and other cities might look very different. Um, you never know exactly what the National Benefit Center will do. So your I-45 application will initially, it will be sent to the National Benefit Center, which is the one main national center where they're processing all employment-based I-485s right now. It's possible for the National Benefit Center to just process the application there without forwarding it on to a local field office. That happens sometimes. Sometimes they forward it to a local field office that is not in the jurisdiction of the beneficiary's home address at all, just depending on workload. If they, um, so that happened quite a bit a couple of years ago when they were really backlogged, people's files got sent, you know, to USCIS field offices that were in states completely different to where they lived. So it's not always guaranteed that the field office where you're living is the one that will end up doing the final approval on your I-45 file. Um, it's possible that it may go faster if you move to, you know, one of those locations, but that's only if, like I said, the National Benefit Center does send it out to a local field office, and if they send it out to the one that, you know, is covering your area, which we can't say for sure. Um, you know, if it's going to be kind of burdensome for you to move solely for this, um, it, it'll be kind of up to you what you know whether it's worth it to to make the move for the possibility that it will be processed faster. All I can tell you right now is that it it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you'll have a, a straight nine month processing time because of all those factors. Okay, and uh, one of my uh, cousin she filed like mandamus uh, when she was on the I forty five. So do uh -huh. you think? When we file the mandamus, that the U.S. court will ask us to wait until the processing timeline sub, you know, is on the website, or we can file after like 180 days of filing or one year of yeah. wait. No, um, it's not necessary to wait the posted processing time because some of them, like you said, for Houston is like a very high number of months that they posted, mostly to try to prevent people from following up. Um, but to file a uh, a federal court case due to I-45 delay. Um, typically, so if you do want to find out more, I would advise, um, I would recommend having a consultation with Stephen Brown in our office. Um, he's kind of the one in charge of all the litigation in our office, but um, I believe he typically um, says to wait at least, as long as the I-45 has been pending at least six months, then I, he has proceeded with litigation as far as I know. So it's not necessary to wait the whole processing time. Varshini Reddy? Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hi, Varshini. Yeah, hi. Uh, okay, uh, Shruti, maybe we can uh, move on to the next person. I have submitted my question. Hi, how are you? Okay, um, so I'm not really clear on your question. So my your cost chargeability. So are you married yeah. to somebody who has a different country of birth than yourself? Hello? Come on. Yes. Are you married to somebody who has a different country of birth to yourself? Okay. 
sorry, there, I think she has some technical issues. Well, Shruti, can you move on I'm to the next question? Not with Marit, but I have my fiance. Varshini, sorry, we can't hear you. Deep? Yeah. Hi. Um, okay. So, all right. So I see your question here. Um, for your change of employer, an H-1B transfer within the U.S. shouldn't be an issue. Um, usually criminal matters do not really come up for H-1B applications filed with USCIS. Sometimes they do. Sometimes, occasionally, we've seen requests for evidence sent um, for an extension of H-1B um, something like that, but it's pretty rare. So if it is just a H-1B transfer within the U.S., you are not stepping outside the U.S., um, I don't anticipate that it would come up or be a problem okay. for the transfer. But if you are going to travel and then go for visa stamping, that is definitely where um, it can come up. And um, it could potentially be an issue. It could potentially be something you would need to get a waiver for. Um, for that I would say you definitely would need to consult one-on-one -on -one with an immigration attorney who can go over your documents because we can't say just based on the type of charge that's listed, we can't say for sure whether that will be a problem at the consulate because it depends a lot state by state on what the exact charge was. Um, so we would need to take a look at the charging documents, look into it and see if it meets the immigration standard for a crime involving moral turpitude um, for it, you know, for us to be able to tell whether it will be something the consulate will apply an inadmissibility ground for. Okay, so for an H-1B transfer, that should be fine. If you will be traveling and getting a visa stamp before you make any travel plans, consult with an immigration attorney and have all your documents, even if the charge was dismissed. For immigration purposes, it doesn't matter if the charge was dismissed, as long as the charges are there, immigration considers it as if it was is if you were convicted almost. Okay, so what all documents uh, do I need to carry? Because I, I went through the expungement. So don't carry them uh, yet. So... I mean, don't plan to go yet. Like I said, um, get the documents ready and meet with an immigration attorney to go through the documents and see how much of a problem it will be. Because depending on what it is, the advice may be that you shouldn't travel or that you need to be prepared to wait a long time in India if you travel. Um, so the original charging document, any court documents, the final disposition on the case. So make sure you have all those documents. So I have the final disposition, but uh, my case is now expunged. So do I need to get the police report and court records as well for yeah. this one? Mm -hmm. The police report, if you can get it, the original charging document. Yeah, I have the original document, but how could I get the police report once the case got expunged? So you can, if you worked with a criminal attorney, you can check with the criminal attorney to see what the local procedures are to get a copy of the police report. Just because it's expunged doesn't mean that the records disappear. The records will still be okay. there. And the consulate can find them. The consulate cross-checks a lot of local law enforcement databases. Okay, so this uh, this will affect my employment for the background checks, having this uh, criminal record? I can't speak to that necessarily. That will kind of depend on what, how thorough your employer's background checks are. Okay, next question. Yeah, yes. Uh, I actually sent you guys uh, the Google yes. form. Um, okay, so actually, I believe 
if you have a DUI, then I don't think you are considered eligible for the pilot program, even if your most recent visa was issued within those dates. Um, because one of the requirements for the pilot program, the domestic stateside visa renewal, is that you don't have a visa and it ineligibility that would require a waiver prior to visa issuance. Um, a DUI is actually considered a health-related grounds of inadmissibility. So if you were to apply for the visa at the consulate and you have a DUI, what the consulate would do is refer you to a panel physician in, in that country um, to undergo a screening to basically to determine whether you are considered an alcoholic because that is um, a health-related grounds that they could bar you on, not necessarily a criminal one. Um, so actually, I think based on that, you would not be able to apply through the stateside visa program. And then if you do decide to travel and get um, the visa renewed at the consulate, be prepared for it to take much longer than a normal visa renewal because you will need to go through that physician screening process. It can take um, an additional two months, at least more than the normal um visa stamping process. So if you do go, be prepared to, you know, get uh, authorization from your employer that you can be gone that long or uh, authorization to work remotely um, for however long it takes. But don't worry about this H-1B pilot program, right? No, you aren't. You won't be eligible, unfortunately. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Jaya? Hey, I posted my uh, question in the... Okay, um, let's see. Um, okay, so when was your last day of actual employment? Jayan? Jayan? Is he still here? Yeah, I was not able to unmute. Uh, sorry. So, okay. uh, uh, I... Um, I resigned on January 1st for my uh, last employer. Okay. And then your last payroll is dated when? Uh, on December 30th, but it mentioned from the pay uh, from November 1st to 30th. Okay. Um, okay. And then, so what is your question? So they are asking me if they, uh, if they are going to again pay, uh, run my payroll for the December 1st to December 31st in on like january 30th then i have to pay them back that amount also i need to pay for the tax okay um that probably isn't as much an immigration question that's probably more of an employment law question like if you resigned on december 1st and they accidentally ran your payroll for the month of december when you were no longer working there and now they're asking you to return that salary um i i can't speak to whether, I mean, it sounds like probably you will need to return it if you were no longer working there and you resigned. Um, but the actual kind of technicalities of that would be more of an employment law issue, not immigration. Okay. Okay. Uh, next question. Usman? Yes. Hi. Hello, Rebecca. I submitted a Hi. Google form. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. So... So unfortunately, if the TD visa holder is physically in the U.S., they won't be able to work 
for a company that is based in Canada. U.S. immigration is still very much tied to where the individual is physically. Um, they haven't really accounted for remote work and, you know, people working for companies all over the world, regardless of where they are. Um, they still go by where the individual is physically at the time. And since um, TD visa holders, unfortunately, are not authorized to work while they're in the U.S., um, if the TD visa holder is here physically in the U.S., um, they are not authorized to work, even if all their work is benefiting a Canadian-only employer, if their pay is in Canada. Technically, um, they are not allowed to work remotely here physically in the U.S., unfortunately. Okay. And then, sorry, my second part of the question in the form is, so <laughs> if they have already, what would you say is like, we should do okay. next, like, you know, the next steps be? Yeah. Um, if they have already, then um, just stop as soon as possible. And then mm. um, probably from there, if it's only like three months or so, like you said, yeah. it probably won't have too much effect. Um, there, you know, even though technically it's not allowed, there aren't really, you know, applications that you would, that you or the TD visa holder would need to submit that ask, have you been employed unauthorized mm -hmm. in the U.S. until you file the final green card application. Um, if you will just be extending TD visa status, you would do that the same way by just crossing the border. And if the border official doesn't ask anything about it, don't say anything about the you know unauthorized employment. Um, if you are planning to apply for a green card, then at some point before you file the I-485 application here in the U.S., um, mm -hmm. that person should take at least one international trip. That kind of traveling internationally sort of clears the slate of any past um, out of status or unauthorized employment time for an employment-based green card applicant. So just at some point before applying for the green card here in the U.S., that person should go out of the U.S. and come back in. And as long as they are maintaining status properly from the time of that new entry going forward, mm -hmm. then the green card application will be fine. Perfect. And is that the same rule of going from the TD to H4? Like, would you same, recommend an international yeah. trip before the H4 application? Yes. Yeah. If the H4 individual um, inadvertently worked when they didn't have an EAD card, um, yeah, then the advice would be the same. Just stop as soon as possible. And then at some point before filing for a green card, take an international trip um, to kind of clear up anything in the past and uh, maintain status from the new entry going forward. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Sure. Valuri? Hi. Um, I submitted my question. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. So what kind of notification did you receive about the interview? Um, I received that my I-485 interview will be scheduled and I'll get the notice about it. And I, you received I got this the notification month. in your MyUCIS account? Yes, or yes. From your attorney? Okay. In no, it's it just in my, uh, my USCIS account. Okay, but you don't see it uploaded there in the MyUCIS account? No. The, and it hasn't arrived it, it, no, it, it just says that I'll get the notice uh, to okay. uh, for the interview, but it's been already more than 20 days. I, I didn't receive anything. 
Did you so my, move recently? Yeah. Did you change your home address recently? No, no. Okay. Okay. Um, did you use an attorney to file the I-485 application? Yes. Yes. Okay. I would contact the attorney because the attorney is supposed to get copies of any correspondence related to your I-485 also. So UCIS is always supposed to send exact copies, one to your home address and one to the attorney's office. Yes. Uh, I mean, they told me they didn't receive anything yet. They okay. told me just to wait. My question is like, uh, uh, while waiting, is it okay to travel outside for a business trip or not? <clears throat> if you can postpone the business trip, I probably would because okay. uh, I don't know why the interview notice is taking a while to arrive, but um, what you don't want is for it to arrive and then it, for it to be scheduled a couple days later and you're outside the U.S. at that point. Okay. Um, technically, you can reschedule, but sometimes rescheduling doesn't go through in the USCIS system and we've had... I, I mean, I... Uh, as it will be a business trip, for example, if I get a notice, I can immediately travel the next day. But my question is more like when I go to the interview, for example, will they ask me when did you arrive last time and does that impact uh, any of their decision? That's my worry, right? They definitely can ask what your most recent entry was and ask for your I-94 um, okay. because that does make a big difference on your I-45. Um but as long as there wasn't any problems with your entry, if you're coming in with an advanced parole, for example, and as long as the advanced parole is valid at the time you entered, yes. there shouldn't be any problem. So, the... so it's not a problem if I come even one week before my interview, that's not an issue, right? That's as fine. Long as everything is fine. Yeah, as long as the entry was valid. Yes. And, and usually, uh, in your experience, uh, normally, how many days before they'll send the notice? Typically about two weeks. Two um, weeks. Okay. So I would say by like early next week, if you still don't receive anything, I would recommend trying to call the USCIS customer service number. Yes. Um, yeah. Try calling I them. I mean, I call them today. They, they say always the same thing. Whatever is written in the status, they repeat to me the same thing. That's okay. I mean, so um, just go ahead and call them anyway. Maybe like chat with Emma. Um, on the okay. USCIS system, because okay. if it was a USCIS, my guess is it may be a USCIS error that they made a mistake in mailing it um, or mailed it to the wrong place. Because if your attorney did not receive it either, it is yes. probably a USCIS error. And that does happen more often than it should. We see sometimes I-485s getting denied because USCIS claims they sent an RFE and yes. neither the client or the attorney received it, no record of it. Um, so if it comes to the, if it comes to it that they erroneously deny your I-485 because you didn't arrive at an interview, but it was because they never mailed the interview notice, um, then keep records of your efforts to follow up with USCIS, the calls you made, chatting with Emma, service requests, that sort of thing, because those will need to be included in the motion to reopen later to show that you were aware of it, you tried to ask USCIS about it, and that, you know, it was their fault, basically, in order to get it reopened. Okay, then I will do that. Thanks a lot. Okay. Sure. Hey, I posted my question. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, so you're saying your wife um, recently got her H H4 extended by traveling to Mexico, so she has the EAD auto extension, um, and then 
your company is about to file or already filed an amendment plus extension for you. Is he still here, Rahul? Yeah, yeah, I already uh, they already filed last week, last Friday, like uh, oh. last uh, last Wednesday, I think it reached Wednesday okay. or Thursday. Was there a reason that they didn't include the H four and EAD with that H one last week? Because my wife's uh, passport is right now in uh, a renewal with the Indian oh, consulate. Okay, okay. Um, okay, well, if she has the new passport now, then yeah, technically she can file another I-539 and I-765 based on your most recent H-1 that was just submitted, even if she is still waiting on her previous I-765 to be approved. So she can still work based on the um, auto extension. And um, the, days? yeah, 180 days. Okay. And, okay. And and, um, mm -hmm. Even I can file, uh, I can file the H4 and EAD uh, based on I-797C, of which I will receive uh, probably this week. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Santosh? Uh, hello. Uh, yeah, I posted my question in the chat. Okay, let's see. So I believe that when you're in your initial year of OPT, um, I believe being a contractor is okay, but for STEM OPT, you do have to be a full-time uh, direct employee uh, on W-2, I believe. Um, I am not sure about that. I do know that for STEM OPT, you do have to be full-time 40 hours, whereas in the initial year of OPT, you can be less than 40 hours, you can be part-time. Um, but, and my understanding is that you do have to be a W-2 employee in STEM OPT because the company has to e-verify you. Um, but you may want to double okay, check. So the, so. Okay, uh, so the company that I'm currently working and will be working is e-verified? But uh, they are employing me under 1099 independent. Mm -hmm. So I so you do you suggest I switch to W2 or will I not face any issues on STEM OPT? I believe you do need to switch to W2 on STEM OPT. But like I said, double check with your DSO. Okay, okay, I will double check with them. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Hello, Rebecca. Uh... Hi. So my question is, uh, I'm holding a H-1B visa from an employer. Can I be an active director for a private limited company in India? Um, I When you say active director, I assume that means you're doing work for the company, like acting on behalf of the company. So I would probably say no, unfortunately, even if the company is based only in India and operates only in India, if you... Again, if you physically are here within the U.S., then any work that you do has to be authorized by your H-1B visa. And so the H-1B only authorizes you to work for the company that sponsored the H-1B. So while you are physically in the U.S., you would only be authorized to work for your H-1B sponsoring employer. So um, I would say you should not be listed as a director on any of the, you know, documents for, um, for the company, even if it is based and operates only in India. Okay. 
so i cannot be a director at all like any i can't even be a director in any company in india okay no okay thank you okay so priya's question looks to be about um apex it systems uh which our office this week published an article and we have a youtube video on our uh channel um, so I would definitely recommend if you have any questions about that, go to that video first, if you haven't seen it. Um, I've already okay. seen it. Okay. If the you... Yeah, the main concern was I was not, I am not directly uh, connected with this company, uh, but the sister company. So I don't know if the sister company and this company are both into this. I just want to be sure that I am not into legal uh, violation. I, uh, I just want to secure myself from it. So I don't know what exactly they did. And uh, are there any other other companies associated with these companies? So I how do you know that the company that you work for is a sister company to Apex? Because the Apex was the one uh, who told me that they are going to recruit me uh, and provide me an interview and uh, uh, give me an offer letter and do my training. And that's how the process went. So they are the one who uh, like told me about the company which I am with. Okay. I would assume then that that other company also is not a genuine company. So I would definitely... How do I know that? Have you done any actual training with them or work for them? I did actually training. I actually did a training with them, but after that, they stopped picking up my calls. And in January, there was no contact with them at all. Uh, there were interviews scheduled. Everything was canceled. So I just, now I am literally stressed. Like what next step to do? Because I, what move, they move told to and the story. Company. As soon as you can move to a different company. So you're on OPT right now. Is that I'm, right? I'm on OPT. Yes, I'm on OPT. I was with them move for five months. to another company as soon as you can. Okay. Okay. And what about the and legal he, uh, precisions about this thing? It definitely could be a problem because the government is aware or will become aware of Apex IT and any other of their affiliated companies. The best thing okay. you can do is, like I said, move to a different company um, as okay. soon as you can. I have an offer Keep documentation, keep documentation okay. of any of the training or work that you actually did with the company, because that might be the only way that you will be able to argue. and documentation because I, everything was online. Emails? Did you provide, like, do any of your trainings by oh. email? Were there any calendar? No. How did you do the training? I don't, I, I, I think so. It was on a WhatsApp group. And uh, from there, there was a link. Now that group is not available. Nothing is available. So there is no proper documentation. That's why I was very stressed about it. Yeah. Yeah. It probably will um, be a problem for future changes of status because or since, visa applications since, at the conflict. Since they stopped picking up my phone, since uh, since they stopped picking up my phone, uh, I have been giving interviews in different companies because I knew something was wrong with this company and I have an yeah. offer ready with me, but I want to know how to save myself because I was yeah. with this company for I five would, months. That's it. So I would recommend consulting one-on-one -on -one with an attorney because they'll need to discuss with you your particular case and um, the kind of facts around it. A lot of these you will probably have problems, but we have had people who are able to overcome it, but it's very fact specific. So you'll need to schedule a consultation with an attorney to okay, go over and that. What about my DSO? What about my DSO? How do I go to her and talk about the school stuff? 
the DSOs, you know, are not going to be much help for this because the DSOs are not responsible for vetting the schools no. for the companies okay before. no i just want to tell her that i'm changing to different company but well, now yeah, the company people to. are not responding the company people are not responding so my evaluation you company you don't need the company to respond you just need to find a new employer and when you have a new employer tell your dso that you are changing to this company and give them the offer letter you don't need the company to reach out to the dso at all okay, okay because um, my people, dso is with is asking me the last letter uh, the last date so i don't even know which last date to put because the company is already not responding since january so i don't know what exactly needs to be done yeah like i said you will probably need to set up a consultation with an attorney okay. to discuss it in more detail okay we will need to stop the conference here for today um the next one will be on monday at 3 30 central Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.